Hello and welcome to the Sacred City Life Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean. This podcast is all about helping you follow Jesus in the everyday, normal rhythms of life. I got four gentlemen on the podcast with me. Well, actually, I have three, not counting myself. Men, would you go ahead? How's it going, Alex Tate, Sacred City Youth Director? Sam Schmidt, Pastor at Sacred City Moline. Kevin Kenor, Biblical Counselor. All right, well, I want to thank you again for the amount of questions that we are getting via email. Most of them are via, via email. And we want to spend the next podcast or two answering some of those questions. Um, in Sacred City Davenport, we have re- recently preached through John 10. Yeah. And in John 10, we see Jesus claiming um, to know who his sheep are. Yep. We see, Jesus, we see you know, the Father saying that he's given Jesus some specific sheep that he knows their name, that they hear his voice, and that Jesus is the good shepherd that will not lose a single sheep. And that's the narrative, you know, account of what we would call predestination, or another term for it would be election. Mm -hmm. Some people just kind of use the word Calvinism. Now, we don't use the word Calvinism too much, though I don't I will say that we are Calvinists. We believe, you know, that what John Calvin taught was Orthodox Christian doctrine, which means just right Christian doctrine. Calvin didn't discover election or predestination. Um, Augustine wrote on both election and predestination, you know, over a thousand years before Calvin. So this is just Bible teaching, right? It's just Bible teaching. But when you talk about election, when you talk about predestination, when you talk about "quote unquote" Calvinism, you get a, it just brings up a lot of questions. Yeah, right. It brings up a lot of questions for people. And um, we, one of the things that we say is that salvation is one hundred percent God's work. Yeah, it's not man's work that no man should boast, mm-hmm. but it's God's work from beginning to end. And we can go to Ephesians chapter 2 and you can and you can see that. But sometimes people think, well, are you telling me human beings don't have to do anything then? And this is one of the questions we got. So you're saying human beings don't have to do anything. And for the sake of election and predestination, and regeneration, we would say, yes, that is absolutely correct. Mm. That we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, but God, being rich, being rich in mercy, saved us. Yeah. Right? That's good. Ephesians 2. So, mm-hmm. but that does not mean that our works, that, that works don't come out of that salvation. Right, And so God has predestined us for salvation, but he's also predestined the works that we do. I want to use the term after our salvation, but salvation, the, the term salvation, many times we're not being precise when we use the term salvation. We're talking about regeneration. Right? The, the il- illustration I always use is like, if you speak, if we're dead in our trespasses and sins, like Ephesians 2 says we are, you can't just preach to a dead person and say, believe. 
right? Because how can a dead man exercise faith? Or where does a dead man get his faith? Mm. And in my sermon on John 10, I, I clearly show that our faith comes from God. Our, our faith is a gift of God, right? right? And we went to Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2 um, to show that. But <clears throat> I'm going to read it, Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Now, right away, we see that we weren't sick. Mm -hmm. We weren't impaired, mm -hmm. right? The illustration isn't that we needed help and God helped us. It's that we were dead. And I just, I can't get past this. What does a dead man need? Mm -hmm. You can't say, well, he just needs to believe. We would just say, well, where, how? Where does that come from? He's spiritually dead. Mm. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all lived in the passions of our flesh, mm -hmm. carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest, rest of mankind. So this adds to our problem. Not only are we spiritually dead, but we are children of wrath. Mm -hmm. So we are sitting under the just condemnation of God because of our sins. Right? We are spiritually dead, but physically alive and committing sins that damns us yeah. to hell because of the just wrath of God. Well, here's what happened. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he says it again, dead, made us alive together with Christ. Yeah. He made us alive. That is... We see both predestination and all through Ephesians 1, and then we see regeneration. He made us alive, mm -hmm. right? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Yeah. So again, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly place in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So God's grace predestines us, calls us, and this is called the effectual call. Mm -hmm. And it, the effectual call is likened to Jesus calling forth Lazarus, yeah. the physically dead man. Yeah. He didn't get up and, and say, Lazarus, believe. Mm. Lazarus, have faith. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Yeah. Come out. And Lazarus came alive, right? <laughs> I, I kind of joke and be, you know, like, did Lazarus want to come back? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. If he's in the bosom of Abraham, if he's in heaven, he's in per perfection, he's in holiness. Lazarus is the only man that died twice. <laughs> Whatever killed him the first time, he had to go through that. And then eventually he had to die again. Like he didn't have a, a choice in the matter. Yeah. Well, when God regenerates us, we don't either. Yeah. He turns the spiritual lights on. He yeah. gives us spiritual vitality. And then through faith. So he gives us faith to believe. How do we know that? And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. What's yeah. the gift of God? Faith. Yeah. The faith, the regeneration is a gift of God. The election, the calling, predestination, all of that is the gift of God. 
And gifts aren't earned. They're not earned by our good works. Why? So that no one may boast. If faith, if faith precedes regeneration, faith would then be a work. Mm -hmm. I'm smarter than you. I've read more than you. I had better parents than you. I understand the Bible better than you. That's where faith becomes a work. Mm -hmm. But if faith is a result of God's work in us, then it's not a result of works so that no one may boast. Mm -hmm. So I can never say, well, the reason I'm a Christian and, you know, Jihadi John over there isn't is because of my American culture, my American upbringing, my good parent. No, 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 no. It's because of the gift of God, Mm. right? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So we are his workmanship. Think about that. In Romans 9, he talks about he's the potter and we're the clay. We are his workmanship. And I think the word there in the Greek is poema, that we're his, his poem. Yeah. Like he, we're the, he's writing us into the story. Created in Christ Jesus, look, for good works. Mm-hmm. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yeah. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me, we're not predestined because of our works. We're not predestined um, because faith is somehow a work. We're predestined for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God predestines us. He calls us to himself like Lazarus out of the tomb. And then he says, here's what I want you to do. Therefore, the works that we do after we are, we are regenerated are still a result of God's grace and kindness to us. Now, do we have to do things to, you know, in obedience to Jesus? Yes, mm-hmm. we have to do things. <clears throat> Jesus tells us very specifically, we have to do things. We have to believe. So why do you think it's, uh, people are getting that mixed up? Because you, you got faith, right? And then you got works. And I think a lot of people are getting that mixed up. Do you, do you know why that is? Well, because... We see things, we, we can't see things through God's perspective. Mm. Now, God revealed this to us in his word, so we can read it in the word and we can take it by faith. But because we're finite creatures, we try to get in and figure it out, mm-hmm. right? And there's other scriptures that um, people would say seem to contradict mm. this clear teaching in scripture. But we got to remember Scripture interprets Scripture. And you always let the the clear texts help you interpret the unclear texts, the obscure texts, right? And so when Jesus says things like, if you don't forgive your brother, I won't forgive you, right? Now, why would Jesus say that? Well, he would say, I'm going to answer my own question here because I got blank stares around the circle here. Jesus would say that because forgiveness is a big deal, Yeah, right? It's a big deal. And if you are forgiven, then you forgive others. We just did a podcast on this last week, right? Yeah. Like the forgiveness and the cross. Yeah. And so if I'm holding my brother in forgiveness, then it would be, and I read that text, I should be challenged. Yeah. I should be rebuked. I should be, oh man, what am I doing? And, and, 
am I, and if I'm walking in clear unforgiveness, then I should say, what am I doing? I'm not living as a child of God. I'm not living like I'm forgiven. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm not saved. Mm -hmm. Like I, I should literally ask that question. I shouldn't, Christians should never have a confidence that, that, well, the, the word in Romans is a presumption mm -hmm. that I can presume upon the grace of God and therefore continue in my sin, unchecked, unrepentant, mm -hmm. right? It's not saying forgiveness is now a work. And if you don't forgive perfectly as I've forgiven you, then you're not going to be forgiven because, well, none of us trouble. in this, none of us in this room would be forgiven because forgiveness is really difficult. Yeah. Right. For the people that have, that have sinned, mm -hmm. that have, uh, sinned against us. <clears throat> well, and I would even to, to think about the theme of forgiveness for, to, to be able to forgive, it necessitates faith because then you have to believe something's going to happen. Like something has to happen with that sin. So understanding my position for the cross, the forgiveness that I've received by faith, I believe these things then to then transfer that to the horizontal plane of interacting with others. I'm believing this vertical reality of, of God's forgiveness to me that then is going to translate into other places, other that, that horizontal plane relationships in my life that really is my faith being expressed in the act of forgiveness. Because I've been forgiven, that actually enables me then to forgive others. And one of the things that if you don't have that forgiveness that moves to other people calls on the question, like you said, do I really understand my, my forgiveness that I've received by faith from God? Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. Now, so what we want to see here is <clears throat> salvation is bigger than just predestination, than just effectual calling, the way God calls us. It's bigger than regeneration. When we're reading, <clears throat> excuse me, in two, and in, in, when we're read, reading in Ephesians 2, and he says that he has seated us, right? He seated us. He's made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's showing us salvation is from eternity to eternity, hmm. right? He yes. guarantees to... In other places, he says he he guarantees to finish the work that he started in us. Mm -hmm. God promises to finish the work. Again, that means salvation is his from beginning to end, but mm -hmm. our works are necessary in the process of salvation called sanctification. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, the agent, the thing that drives forward sanctification is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So if you think of who gets the credit for my growth or my ability to forgive or my ability to obey Jesus, it comes back to God who's in me, yeah. who's changed my desires, changed the way that I view the world, changed the way that I live, is now drawing this out of me. And so then even that credit goes not back to me ultimately, but it's God who's working in me to, to bring about what he wants yes. from me. Yeah. Yes. That's good. So, okay, let's just, let's just do this. We have election, and that is God chooses by his own sovereign will those whom he will save. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what election is. From eternity past, he knows every single person's name. Here's what we're saying. Christ did not die for a a faceless mass called humanity. Mm -hmm. Christ died for individuals 
with their names graven in his hands, with, right. his, with their specific names. So every single person that comes to faith in Christ was called by name by God, by Jesus, yep. called by name. Jesus knows all of his sheep. He calls them by name. Mm-hmm. Everyone who does not come to Christ was not one of Christ, Christ or God's elect, and Christ did not call them mm, by right. name. Okay, so we have predestination, we have election, we have calling. Every single person that was predestined or elected, Christ called them like he called out Lazarus. Then we have regeneration. God made them alive in Christ. We, Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, gives them faith. They have to believe, and they will. Every single one that hears Jesus' voice will believe. So, again, John 10. They, so they, they believe. They have, to, they have to put their faith in Christ, but they will put their faith in Christ because it's an effectual call. It's a call mm-hmm. that guarantees the outcome. Right. Okay? Then they're justified. They're made right with God. The wrath of God is turned away from them because it was put on Christ. They're made right. Justification. You are now made just as if I had never sinned. All of that is, again, God's work. And then we have sanctification. Which adoption. Is, sanctification. Oh, yeah, we, we have adoption. Yep. We're brought into the family of God, made children of God. Mm-hmm. We're no longer enemies of God, but we're now family. And then <clears throat> we have sanctification. Mm-hmm. And this is the lifelong process of being made into the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. This is God's work in us, but yes, it requires our obedience. It requires constant faith and repentance. Martin Luther said the entire Christian life is meant to be one of repentance, right? So we, we have to be, so this, all the good works that God calls us to in the scripture, this is a result of grace by faith, yet we are still, we still have to be active Mm. in our sanctification. So we're not passive. We are passive in regeneration. We are passive in justification. We are not passive in sanctification. We are active in sanctification. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And if, if the the sum of the Christian life is that of faith and repentance, I mean, even, even to say to repent um, means that it's an act of faith. Repentance itself is an act of faith because you're turning away from one thing and there has to be something else to turn to. And so that's what the, the exercise of faith, the repentance is the turn away from and faith is the turning to God to, mm-hmm. to obey and to follow. And you're turning away from something mm-hmm. ugly to something beautiful. Right. And you have to have eyes to see Christ as beautiful. Right. right. And how, what, what gives you eyes to see? Right. Regeneration. Well, regeneration gives you eyes to see. Like I'm preaching on the last... Um, I'm preaching on, on John 11 this week where Jesus is, they, they th- Mary, Martha throw a party because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Okay. Lazarus is there reclining at table, Martha serving. That's how she worships, right? Mary breaks open the, the perfume and pours it on him. That's how she worships. And Lazarus is just kind of chilling there. He's apparently the strong and silent type. He just doesn't talk in any of the, any of the texts. But many people come to believe in Jesus because of Lazarus, right? Lazarus is a walking, living, walking testimony that God can raise the dead, mm-hmm. okay? The Jewish leaders see Lazarus, and they want to kill Lazarus and kill Jesus. Mm-hmm. What, what? Why would they look on that and not say, what a miracle? Yeah. I need to give my life to Christ. Mm-hmm. Why do they look on the same miracle that other people can see? Some people see uh, motivation to worship Jesus, they say, 
we need to kill Lazarus too, which is, first off, kind of hilarious and absurd. Like, he just was raised from the dead and you're going to kill the dude? He's like, I was already comfy. <laughs> like, I'm, Can you I was imagine in a good if they would have done it and Jesus would have raised him again? Oh, like, right there. Get up again. <laughs> yeah. Lazarus is like, what? No, quit yeah, that. Yeah. You know? Whack-a-mole with Just, Lazarus. Yeah, Lazarus, whack-a-mole. All right. Well, why do they not see Jesus beautiful? Because Jesus says in John 10, you are not of my sheepfold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He knows God didn't give me you. Yeah. Mm. But could it be for a season? Maybe they don't see yes. right now? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Totally, it could be. It totally could be for a season. Um, they, they could mm. definitely come to faith. Well, from Jesus' perspective, no. Because Jesus knows from our perspective, yes. Mm-hmm. Many people didn't believe in him. His own brothers and family didn't believe in him, and then they came to believe after the fact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But for, when Jesus says, you're not of my sheepfold, he didn't say, you're not of my sheepfold right now. Right. So, well, even with his interaction with Nicodemus... And, and the evidence later on where, where there is a, a, a regeneration that happens with Nicodemus to, to say, okay, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus now. Before, lots of questions, wasn't there, some changed. God changed his heart. And we would say Judas. Judas is in that text too in, in, in John 11, and Judas sells out Jesus mm-hmm. for money. And he's saying, oh, you, she shouldn't have broken that alabaster jar. She shouldn't have spent it. We should have, we should have mm-hmm. given that to the poor. And John tells us his motive. He said that because he was greedy mm-hmm. and he wanted the money for himself because he was in control of the money bags and he could use the money. And then eventually he sells Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Yeah. Silver. And Jesus knows that he, that Judas is the son of perdition. Jesus, G- Judas was not given to him by the father as one of the elect. Yeah. So Jesus knows from, be- from the beginning that Judas is going to betray him. Mm-hmm. So, for, so for some that don't know, like there's a lot of Christian men that did a lot of great things and what makes Calvin so special and why are people saying that they're a Calvinist instead of just a Jesus follower? That's a good question. Um, John Calvin was just a brilliant mind who was a key piece in the reformation of the church when the church went bad and the church and the lights went out in the Catholic church and the church drifted into all kind of apostasy, all kind of false teaching, lost the gospel Mm-hmm. of salvation by grace through faith, you know, by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone for the glory of God alone on the testimony of scripture alone. They stepped away from that and they were mixing and they still, the Catholic church still mixes grace with works. Mm-hmm. And so Calvin was one of the most brilliant minds that stood up and taught from the text of scripture, from the original language and could refute anyone could refute mm-hmm. the best of the best, you know, of the Catholic church. And he's quoting in, in his magisterial work, um, um, institutes, in, the institutes of the Christian religion. He quotes the early church fathers. He's quoting Augustine. He, he can read Augustine better than they do. So he, he's not saying, he's literally not saying I'm creating my own thing. Right. He's not yeah. saying that he's saying, I'm bringing us back to the original. I'm bringing us back to what scripture originally taught. The early church fathers originally taught, the Catholic Church, you are the one that's departed. The Pope mm-hmm. has departed. Right. I mean, that's why they thought, they believed the, the Pope was an anti- Antichrist mm. because they were mixing grace and, uh, you know, grace and works okay, in, in, in a person's salvation. They could say, if you give this amount of money, we'll let you out of purgatory. Yeah. And really what we mean by Calvinism is just mean, we mean the Bible. We believe the Bible. We're going back to the text. We're people of the book. And so all the stuff where the church, the, the Catholic church was going off the rails, 
you know, if that didn't happen, we would probably wouldn't be calling ourselves Calvinists. We'd just be Christians or Bible-believing people. But because this historical event happened where there was a, a defect, mm-hmm. Calvin was the guy that sort of was part of a major contributor to the, to the reorientation of the church and the true doctrines of the church. Yeah. So is there an issue if someone says, I'm not really a Calvinist, I believe in a lot of things he says, but I'm a Jesus follower? Yeah. Yeah, no, there's no problem with that whatsoever. The, here's the other issue. The other issue is that this guy arose um, to challenge Calvin, and his name was, was it Joseph Arminius? Is that his name? Uh, I'm looking over at, at I think it's Joseph Arminius. And he just basically said that God gave every human free will, and and our free will is, I'm, not, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but is the de- determining factor of salvation. And you hear a lot of people talk about, well, don't we have free will? Well, don't we have free will? Well, don't we have free will? <clears throat> well, the biblical answer to that is, what do you mean by free will? Yeah. Because if you had a, if your will was totally free, then you could therefore choose to never sin again. Mm-hmm. You could choose to always do the right thing, right? Well, can you? The Bible clearly teaches that everyone has sinned, like every single one. There's no one righteous, no, not one. So in that sense, the only person who had a truly free will were Adam and Eve. Ever since Adam and Eve, everybody else's will was bound. Mm. And so Martin Luther, see, Luther taught a lot of these doctrines as well. And Luther wrote a book called The Bondage of the Will. And the whole point of The Bondage of the Will was saying, you don't have have free will. Your, your, Your will is bound to sin, to vice, which means you are children, you're a child of wrath. So you, you don't have, mm. you don't have free will in that sense. Now, do, does, do we have moral agency? That's the word that we want to use. Do we have moral agency? We are not automatons. We are not robots. We have the ability to choose. The problem is we choose sin consistently over and over and over. We choose sin. So what we need in regeneration is our, our will unbound, our will freed so that we can actually choose the good. We can see the good and choose the good, mm. right? And so that's what God does for us in regeneration. So Arminius basically taught, um, I mean, I'm paraphrasing it, but that God... <clears throat> His foreknowledge of us. So let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Everybody knows this verse because they put it on coffee cups, but they take it out of the the context. It says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for his good, for those who are called according to his purpose. We love that verse. But look look what it's tied to. Verse 29, right? The next verse. For those whom he, God, foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, the one piece we didn't, when we were talking about that chain of salvation that we didn't talk about yet, so there's sanctification, then there's glorification, Mm -hmm. that we will be made into the image of Jesus. We're not going to become Jesus, but we're going to be made like him. Mm -hmm. That means all of the stain of sin is going to be removed from us. The power of sin over us has already been broken through the power of the cross and regeneration. Penalty of sin has been removed from us. But the presence of sin is going to be removed from us in the, either when we die or in the new heavens and the new earth. Mm. So what 
So that's the full. So salvation technically is from all the way back in predestination to all the way forward into glorification. We need to be more precise when we're, we're speaking about salvation mm-hmm. sometimes. But he, here's what Arminians, Arminius said. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. He, ta- he taught, and many people still teach this today, that God, so predestination is God looking down the corridors of time and seeing who would choose him, and then God predestined only those who would choose him. Okay? Do you see that? Mm-hmm. So, because God is all-knowing, God is omniscient, God knows everything, God knows who would choose him and who wasn't. So what God actually didn't do, or God, God is actually predestining people who would choose him. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't make sense in the flow of this passage. Because look at this passage. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Mm-hmm. And those whom he called, he also justified. Mm-hmm. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Mm-hmm. In other words, let's work our way back. <clears throat> Every single person that will be glorified That means every single person who will be in the new heavens and new earth was also justified, right? Yep. So you can't be glorified unless you're justified, right? right? Every single person who was justified, he also called. Yeah. Okay. okay. So that means to be justified, you have to be called, right? Right. So you can't be justified if you're not called, Mm -hmm. right? Okay. Everyone he called, he also predestined. All right? Everyone he predestined, he also foreknew. Mm. So it can't be that God, you know, foreknew, looks down the corridors of time and knows everybody. But if you foreknow, you, you know everybody. You know who's not going to be chosen and, and who is going to be chosen, mm. right? So, but that's not the flow of the argument. He can't foreknow everyone, but then only predestine some. That's not the flow of the argument. It's everyone that's glorified was justified. Everyone that was justified was called. Everyone that was called was predestined. Everyone that was predestined, he also foreknew. Mm-hmm. So foreknow means more than just being God being omniscient. And we know this because the word know is used in d- different ways in the, in the scriptures. Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived. It is a level of intimacy. It is, mm-hmm. a, no- it is a loving knowledge. That's good. Right? It is an intimate knowledge. So when it says that God foreknew, all it says is he knew us just like Jesus said. He knows us by name. Mm. So he chose us by name and he predestined us so that we would be called so, and justified and glorified. Mm-hmm. That's the chain. Yeah. Right? And again, this goes back to God's sovereign call and God's sovereignty o- over salvation. This is why the Old Testament said salvation is always from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's not from us. Yeah. It's, it's from the Lord. <clears throat> so Calvin, against the Arminians, now that we call it, says God is, sal- God is sovereign o- over salvation. We're not. And there's a stream of Christianity that has flowed from the, the Arminian tradition that puts all of the weight of salvation on a person. Hmm. You, it's, a, it's about you. It's about your choice. You must believe. Mm-hmm. And then we lose, I would say, that takes away a lot of the joy 
yeah. of our salvation. Yeah. And it robs God of a lot of glory, too. Like, if you put the two against each other, in which, if it's if on one hand, you can, it's up to people to decide and then come to faith. And on the other side, it's God foreknowing, predestining, working all the things that we've just talked about. Which one glorifies God more? Well, it's the one where God has, has the most activity, that he overcomes all of the obstacles of fallen humanity to restore us to a place of salvation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's not a gift, right? Grace is not a gift in that system because if God is, in, in theory, because if God is looking down, if he's saying, oh, they're going to choose this, you are, you're essentially giving wages, right? You're, you're giving payment for okay, this is the work that you are going to do. If you're a worker, I owe you. Yeah, that's what Galatians talks about, yeah. 100%. <clears throat> so think of it now as we read Romans eight twenty eight again. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. In the, we would say in the scriptural system, we, you could call that Calvinism mm. against Arminianism, that we can be confident no matter what comes that we will be glorified. Yeah. Because our salvation isn't dependent upon us. Right. If I get a brain tumor tomorrow and start acting really weird and apostatize from the faith, I can be, my wife can be confident that Christ has my salvation Yeah. because it's not based upon my works. If I, if I, you know, became brain dead, brain dead and lost my ability to repent or whatever, it's not based upon my own works. It's based upon God's sovereign call. Yeah. Right. And that's something when people are stuck in that Armenian stream of thought, the fear is that I can lose my salvation and there's doubts of, am I really saved? And it brings this constant fear and worry um, that, that goes beyond the examination like that we talked about before with f the forgiveness that causes us to examine, am I really saved? Mm -hmm. But it goes into this place of constant doubt, constant, constant worry of, well, did, did it really work on me? Did God's plan, did the gospel work on me? Yeah. And it causes people to sort of lose it a bit. Yeah. Predestination, there's no doubt that predestination is biblical. It's taught very clearly in the text. And it's meant, it's meant, it's put there to show us God's side of salvation. And it's meant to give us incredible confidence yeah. and incredible hope and incredible yeah. peace. Mm -hmm. This is why right after this, after he, he says, the, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. He says, what then shall we say to these things? Is God before us? Who can be against us? If God saves us, nothing can unsave us. Yeah. Right. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Yeah. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Right? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So these people are in the midst of great persecution. And the ants, the, the hope, what he's anchoring their hope in is God's sovereignty and salvation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's go. For Let's I am it. sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. If, if our salvation is dependent upon our righteousness, our works, our, the strength of our faith, we cannot have confidence that we, will, that we would not sin our way out of the hand of God, mm, yeah. sin our way out of our salvation. Yeah. 
right? Yep. So if I could earn my way into salvation through my works, then I could earn my way out of my salvation through my own works as well, right? So that, that brings a lot of fear, trepidation, condemnation, and we're told, again, Romans 8, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. So this is our great hope, yeah. right? right? Our great hope. Um, so one thing, just to kind of tie some things together here, one of the mistakes of, of so Calvinism, we talk about God's work, God's monergistic, it's God's activity, it's God's oh, oh, activity. Oh, big word, big word, big word. So mono meaning singular, it's God's, God's prerogative to do all these things, the election, the adoption from front to back, to bringing us to a place where we are able now to put our faith in Jesus, giving us new hearts to believe, regenerate, regenerate hearts. And then that doesn't mean that we, we no longer have any responsibilities, nor, no response to that, but that's where sanctification is. Our response now through the power of the Spirit working in us, we are responding to God in a life of faithfulness. Yes. And so um, w- a lot of times I, w- when people talk about Calvinism and are a little um, raising questions about it, they say, well, do you mean that we do nothing? Like we just, yeah. we can put our hands in our pockets and close our eyes and just let God take the wheel? Well, in salvation, it, God orchestrated the whole thing, but now God wants to, he, he wants to, the, the union that we have with Christ, he wants us to doubt, then give ourselves unto him, submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ and, and partner with him, um, allow his spirit to work in us and through us to follow him that we actually now desire. We have a will that's aligned to God and to follow through. And that's where a life of faithfulness, a life of, of those good works that have been um, predestined before we were even saved start to come about. Yep. Yeah, that's great. Um, when we're thinking about God's sovereignty in our salvation and man's responsibility, like our responsibility to then do good works out of faith. Um, C.H. Charles Spurgeon once was asked, how do you reconcile these two truths that God is sovereign and yet man is responsible and he must, you know, repent of his sins and put his faith in Christ? And he said, I wouldn't try. How do you reconcile these things? He said, I wouldn't try. I never reconcile friends. Mm, Yeah. Like both of these things are true. We have to understand them both. We are morally responsible we have moral agency. We must turn from our sins and repent of our sins mm-hmm. and put our faith in Christ. And yet God is sovereign over that whole thing. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, <clears throat> all right. Well, all right. That's, that's podcast one. We're going to come back. We're going to answer some more common questions in the second podcast. And so if you've got some more questions, keep them coming our way. You can email me at justindean at sacredcitychurch.com or Sam at Sam at sacredcitychurch.com. We love you guys. We're praying for you. God bless.